Thank you, worship team. Let's give it up for these guys. Thank y'all so much for leading us. So good every time. Well, good morning, church. Good to see you guys. If I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and I'm excited for the rest of this morning. It's just going to get better and better and better. So good. Well, hey, um, before we jump into the message, just a couple, um, um, and, well, one announcement, and then we're going to hear a couple testimonies. So uh, one reminder or announcement is this Saturday, April 2nd, we're having a young adult worship night right here at the church at 6 p.m. So we got a bunch of young adults in our church, and so you guys are welcome to come and worship with us. Look at that. Look at that. We're going to have some disco lights and stuff. Let's go. It's going to be a party. Get ready. Uh, but I'm excited to, to worship with you guys. So that's coming up this Saturday at 6. And then also, for those of you that uh, don't know, um, last Sunday I preached and then a group of us, our college ministry, took a mission trip that we call Revive. And we went to Norman, Oklahoma to go partner with the Antioch there in Norman and to do a lot of outreach on OU's campus. There's a lot of Sooners that just, man, we just, just need the love of Jesus, all right? Uh, so did the Razorbacks and every other university in the nation. But, uh, but anyways, it was such an incredible time, and I'm so proud of our students. And um, I just wanted to, like, share some of the good, some of the amazing things that God did uh, with our whole church body. So I'm going to invite up Cade. Where's Cade? And Anna, go ahead and come on up here, y'all. Give it up for these two. I'm going to have Cade share first. So Cade, you come up here. So um, the week, it was action-packed. I mean, it started on Friday night, last uh, two Fridays ago, and we had some uh, people that have been on this trip before share some testimonies, and we worshiped and prayed, and we actually did our first-ever church lock-in. It was awesome. We slept here at the church. There's like 20 rooms here. So anyways, we slept here, and it was awesome. It was so fun, and did a lot of teaching, a lot of worship time, just prepare our heart, and then even we did a little bit of outreach here before we left on Sunday. Uh, but what, what the day usually looked like was team time in the morning. We worshiped, prayed, heard, heard messages, and then we spent a long time in the afternoon doing outreach on campus. Um, and so I'm going to have Cade share first uh, a couple encouraging interactions he had with some OU students and the way God worked through it. So, Cade, take it away. Yeah. Um, okay, so the first day um, we get there, and I'm partnered with um, Olivia Stusick. Most of you guys probably know her. Um, but and we're at the union and we're going to get lunch and we kind of split up and I go and join this guy in the back of one line and she's standing next to this girl in the other line and I'm like talking with this guy and we get through the line and he kind of like waits for me after he pay, pays and he's like would you want to like keep sitting next to each other and I'm like yeah I was gonna ask you the same um, and so I like sit down with him and I'm like hey man like I usually pray for my food like can I pray for yours as well and like maybe like if there's anything I can pray for you um, and he was like oh yeah go for it. Um, and so I pray, and then uh, he goes, well, I think this is probably a good time to let you know that I'm an atheist. And I was like, that's great, man. Let's talk about it. And then so we spent the next two hours just talking about it. And it was, like, such not a, like, combative argument, but it was so just, like, like he was like, okay, so, like, like you like you believe more like this. And, like, okay, so let me get this right. And I'm like, yeah. And, like, and like honestly, like, there's things that I don't know, and, like, there's things that we're not supposed to know. And it was just, like, so, like, I just like redemptive I think for his, some of his like past um, of just like maybe some church like like kind of shunning and things like that um, and that was just so cool and at the end Olivia actually gave him her Bible um, and then we asked to pray for him again before we left and this time instead of just being like yeah okay um, he was like yeah I guess just I would love prayer for like understanding which like he doesn't have the words for it but what he asked for is wisdom and discernment and the Lord says that if you ask for it you'll get it so 
So we prayed for him, um, and we ha- we're believing that he's going to get involved and, like, just fall in love with the Lord. Um, and then leaving the union, uh, it's, like, pouring rain. And this we're, like, trying to make it to this coffee shop on the other side of campus. Um, it's, like, a 20-minute walk. And we like, like, okay, we think we can make it to the bus stop, and they'll take us closer. And we're, like, walking, and this car just, like, pulls up next to us. It's just, like, out of nowhere. And Olivia just, in all boldness, goes, do you want to give us a ride? <laughs> and the guy's, like, what? And he like rolls down his window, and she's like, you want to give us a ride? And he's like, uh, sure. And so we hop in his car, and he's picking up his roommate. Um, they're both named Blake, and <laughs> naturally, I guess. Um, but And so he takes us there, and he like drops off his roommate at home, and then takes us to Haystack, is uh, the coffee shop. Um, and uh, and at the end, uh, we're just like, hey, like this has been such a huge blessing. Like, Is there anything we can pray for you for? And he's just like tells us like kind of about like maybe like future stuff and just like like things would end up how they should be and basically just like the Lord's will over his life is what we prayed. Um, but then something cr- like crazy, which is only God, um, is on Wednesday, um, kind of the same thing as like going to get lunch and just I sat with someone random, um, and fi- come to find out the guy that I sit with is roommates with Blake and Blake, and just like totally could have never predicted that or never assumed that that was gonna happen. Um, and didn't like get to pray for him in that moment because he was kind of he kind of left pretty quick, but um, but just got to be like oh like ask your roommates about it and just like and believing that it's gonna like remind Blake about that we prayed for him or just that like the Lord wants to do big things in that whole house and I just I just like get the sense that that house has a lot of authority on campus that they're like like some like pretty cool frat guys and so they probably have a lot of authority um, and I just believe that the Lord wants to use their house. Amen. Hey, let's yeah, y'all clap. Let's do this. Let's agree real quick. A little 10, 15 second prayer for this little household. Blake, Blake, and ah, you got another third guy? Blake. Three Blakes. All right. We're going to pray for Blake and uh, believe the Lord's going to open up their hearts to, um, to him and that they're going to really encounter Jesus. All right. So, Katie, let's pray. Yes, Lord. God, I thank you for the Blake household and Norman. God, I just pray that you would have your way in their house. God, I just thank you just for the authority and the just ownership that you've already like given in that house and just like the way that people look up to them, Lord. But I pray that like they would look up to them and like find you, God, and like that this household would be the first of many to turn to you and like that they would be a light um, in their fraternity and just on campus in general. Um, yeah, Lord, and I just pray that, that they would find you, Lord, and that that the OU would be changed, be, would change because of it, Lord. Uh, we love you a lot and we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, bro. All right. Hey, we're going to hear from Anna now. So um, not only did uh, the Lord do a lot like through us, but he did a lot in us. And so Anna has a really powerful uh, testimony of just something that God was doing in her as she came in and how she left differently. So take it away, Anna. Whatever you want to share. Okay, great. I have notes because I will forget. Um, what's up, guys? Um, <laughs> so I came into the trip kind of full of anxiety about it um, because I'm friends with the young adults more. So like going... Um, on a college trip, I didn't really know anyone, uh, so I was really nervous about that and like fitting in and like being cool or whatever. And <laughs> and I was just like giving that to God the first couple days, and He just kind of broke that in me, and I was able to just like have confidence in who He made me to be on the trip. Um, and also, I had anxiety about outreach because I haven't really done that before, um, at least not how we did it. And <laughs> and I was super nervous about it because I. I think I'm afraid of people getting a bad um, look at Christianity and turning away. And so I was just, like, really afraid of that. 
Um, and so the Lord kind of broke that as well. Um, and the morning session of the first day of outreach, like I was just like asking for just like that breakthrough and for boldness. And um, I just felt like a fire inside of me. I was like, yeah, let's go. I want to be like everybody. I want to become everyone's best friend. Uh, and it was awesome because like, yeah, I had this boldness to like talk to people and like even be like, can I pray for you? And like I used to like not be able to do that at all. Um, and so it was just the Lord, like, instantly answering all those prayers. And so, like, throughout the trip, like, anything I was, like, not sure about, I just, like, gave it to him. And he just, like, let me rest in him. Um, and then we had a lot of really good talks throughout the week. It was kind of fire hydrant of wisdom. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, but um, the second to last day, we had a, a talk about discipleship and, like, being a disciple of Jesus in Matthew 16. Um, and, like, how... To be saved, you just have to believe in Jesus, right? But to be a disciple of Jesus, he calls us to die to ourselves and to deny ourselves and take up our cross and, like, what that means. Um, and that was just, like, really convicting for me because I think, like, through this time at Antioch, I've been, like, learning how to live for Jesus and to die to myself and die to things that are still attractive to me that are not from God. Um, and so, yeah, I just came back feeling super refreshed um, and just super empowered by God, and just, yeah, I just encourage you guys to, like, bring everything to God, because he will meet you there, yeah. so. Amen. Isn't that encouraging? So good. I'm telling you, she was bold on campus. She was talking to everybody. thought she was about to get on, like, a cafeteria table and just shout Jesus, but no, it's so good. Well, let's, um, thank you for sharing, Anna. I'm so glad you came. Why don't you take a second and pray for us, uh, for any because I think that your testimony is uh, really applicable to a lot of us in this room where we feel that fear, that anxiety, especially in the context of sharing our faith. Yes. Probably one of the most uh, intimidating things that is really clear in the Bible uh, that the Lord wants us to do. And so why don't you pray a boldness over us and a freedom from fear. Anybody, uh, would li anybody like to receive that prayer, just more boldness and sharing your faith? All right, I thought, most of us in this room. Okay, pray that over us. Um, Lord, I just thank you for this time today as a family and to be able to just um, be in your presence today, Lord. Um, God, thank you for everything you do through us and how you use that um, to encourage others. And Lord, um, I just pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that's struggling with fear and anxiety and even just um, with sharing their faith in you, Lord, about you, Lord. Um, I just pray that, yeah, you would just give them boldness, God, and that you would just remind them who you are and who you've, what you've done in their lives and how powerful and how true that is. Um, and Lord, I just pray that you would just break off any um, strongholds from the enemy that, that keep them from that and keep them from just like sharing your word to everyone that they know, Lord. Um, may that just be this week, Lord, a series of breakthroughs of just um, a, fi a fire for you, God. Um, in your name I pray, amen. Amen. So encouraging. All right, guys. Well, we are going to um, jump into the message now, and uh, you guys get to hear from Jeremy BR in just a second here, but we are in uh, week three, part three of this series, I Do Not Have a Spirit of Fear. Let's all say that again. I do not have a spirit of fear. So Jeremy's going to wrap us up. It's going to be good. Give it up for the one and only Jeremy BR. Come on, bro. Thanks. What's up, guys? Hey, I just want to say, before I get into the message, if any of y'all came in this morning with heavy hearts, grieving Arkansas's loss to Duke, I just want to say you're not alone, and this is a safe place. Just had to say that. 
um, Arkansas. They have a basketball team. If you're not into that thing, they outperformed final eight teams. It was it was good, but all good things come to an end. Not all good things, though. That's what I'm here to talk about this morning. I got some some good news for y'all, which is what Mitchell said. We do not have a spirit of fear, but we have a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. And that is the main point that we want you to get out of this three-week series. Write that down. Think about it. Meditate on it. We do not have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Two weeks ago, Mitchell started us off by basically calling out the elephant in the room, which is that fear is a spirit. It is not just a feeling that we have. It's not just a reaction that happens internally to a difficult circumstance, but we don't get to a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind without acknowledging that fear is a spirit. But we have power by the Holy Spirit to overcome that spirit. Then last week, Mitchell followed up by giving us some tools to, in a sense, maintain our sound mind. How do we respond when we feel fear, when we have that temptation? He abbreviated it CRDT, which stands for Confess, Rebuke, Declare, and Trust. So when we experience fear, we confess that temptation to God. We just acknowledge the fear, and then we rebuke that fearful spirit by the power of Jesus, we declare and think about truths of God, and then we trust him rather than insisting on having control or answers ourselves. And we do not have a spirit of fear, but of love. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about the love of God and how our experience of his love causes fear to flee. If you have your Bibles, you can open to Psalm 23 with me, or you can pull it up on your phone if you don't have a Bible with you. We're going to spend a lot of time here this morning. I want to revolve my message this morning around these six verses. I'm also going to be hopping into 1 John a lot. If you can do a little, you know, two bookmark action, we're going to be in 1 John a lot as well. But as y'all turn there to Psalm 23, I'm going to pray, and uh, and then I'll read it for us. But y'all feel free to keep turning there as I pray. God, thank you uh, for this morning, and I thank you um, that you give us a spirit that's much better than the spirit of fear. And God, I just pray you reveal your love to us this morning, that we could see your character. Uh, God, that we would have a spirit of, of love and of a sound mind and of power that together just totally dominates and obstructs the spirit of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Psalm 23. I'm going to read it. Y'all read it with me. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely good, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such an encouraging passage. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. I mean, come on. This is, this is great, you know, just banner over your dinner table content right here. Like overcoming fear. Like how about not even having fear? Standing strong against your enemies? How about reclining at a table and feasting right in front of your enemies? Hoping that bad things won't happen to you? How about confidently embracing an overflowing cup of goodness and favor for as long as you live? Like, this is crazy what David is expressing in verses 4 through 6. He, it's like he's expressing a freedom from fear that is more profound than most of us could even comprehend. And we love these truths. We cling to them. We sing about them. We declare them. But my question is, how do you get to verses 4 through 6? Through verses 1 through 3. You can't get to 4 without 1, 2, and 3, guys. This is math, all right? And I believe that what David expresses, you know, a lot of these promises in verses 4 through 6 are the ones that are, is, in a sense, the fruit that we want to see of, of not fearing evil, of of being at rest in God's presence, even before enemies, of knowing his goodness for all of our life. That's what we want to experience. But I think if you want to experience the life that David experienced, we need to know the God that David knew as he expresses in verses 1 through 3. And so I want to break it down each phrase this morning and hopefully illustrate for us that when we know God like this, that we will be free from fear like this. Does that make sense? Awesome. Starting at the beginning, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus confirms this truth in John 10 when he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows us, and we know him to the same extent that the Father and Jesus know each other. That is the closeness that we get to know Jesus, and he lays his life down for us. So if, if God is the good shepherd, how freeing is that for me to be his sheep? If he's a shepherd, that means it's his responsibility to lead, decide, protect, and provide. It is the shepherd's glory for the sheep to be healthy. A sheep's glory is, at best, only in trusting the shepherd. There's no fear of lack if I know that provision is the shepherd's job, and my shepherd is good. There's no fear of failure or inadequacy if I know that my performance is really just a reflection of my shepherd's ability rather than my own. There's no fear of abandonment or loneliness if I know that my shepherd would do anything, even leave the 99, even death, in his committed pursuit of me. The question is just how deeply do I know that the Lord is my shepherd. Because if we didn't know God in this way, it would be nearly impossible 
to overcome fear? How could I not fear inadequacy and lack if I believe that it is all up to me to be successful? I know me too well to be confident in that. How could I not fear if it was my responsibility to personally ensure my lifelong abundance, no matter what circumstances I face, which I have no control over? Like, do y'all see how this revelation of this type of relationship with God is related to the freedom that we experience in life? Awesome. And I think this is the first line of the first verse for a reason. I believe freedom from fear starts in this place of knowing that the Lord is my shepherd. And that means not only acknowledging that as a truth, that the Lord is my shepherd, but embracing his shepherding. I can give you an example as a dad. Is there are times, believe it or not, where Beckham, even though he knows I'm his dad, refuses my parenting. Well, I know. Crazy. I thought two-year-olds weren't supposed to do that. Maybe it's by pitching a fit when he doesn't get his way or doing something he knows I've asked him not to do. And you know what's so interesting about these times is that he immediately becomes in so much worse of a mood. It just sucks all of the joy out from him. Like, it doesn't matter how patiently I respond to him. I could be super loving, super courteous, compassionate, doing nothing but trying to help him, in no way blaming him or frustrated with him for his attitude, literally just serving him, and he will just become a worse and worse minion. And it is, it's fascinating. Even if we're not even talking about the conflict anymore, like, let's say he didn't eat any dinner. It's okay, great. We'll put the dinner on your little table. If you want some more food, you can come back later. Let's go play we'll go play and he will still be mad because he wants a snack. And it's like, well, the answer is still no. But here's some other things that you can eat. Until he chooses to come into alignment with what I'm suggesting, like, it, it gets worse and worse. Like, he'll literally even start getting injured. Like, he will run into walls or just, like, trip and be, like, helpless. He's, like, needy and gripey, but then he's mad if I come to help him because he doesn't want to be near me because he's upset with me because he's not getting a snack. He'll start intensely coughing to where it's like gagging, to where it's like, I think you're about to go to the hospital. Like, just eat one blackberry or a bite of cheese or avocado or turkey. Like, seriously, you can't just have a cookie, you know? But how does he feel when he knows that he is living in alignment with my parenting? Look, look. Look, Dada, watch, watch. He shares every experience with me. Like, when I leave for work, he runs to the window so that he can watch me walk in the driveway to the car. When I get home, he runs to the door, and then he says, Dada, and then he runs up and he gives me a hug, but I'm carrying, like, my huge water bottle and briefcase and three other things, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go set my stuff down, Beckham, and then give Dad, a hug. Like, yeah, then I'm going to give you a big hug. And it, like, he, yeah, he wants to help me cook. He wants to play basketball with me. He wants to tell me all about his day. Like, he's at peace and at rest and at joy in my presence when he embraces my fathering. 
and I think God is interested in proving to you that he is a good father. He is a good shepherd. Beckham loves my presence because it's proven to be good for him. If my fathering was for his, his bad, he wouldn't enjoy coming into alignment with it. But when we know that God is good, we're able to receive his shepherding. And when we allow him to shepherd us, we have rest and peace in his presence. But it's knowing his character that sets us free. Let's keep going with this next phrase, I shall not be in want. This phrase is huge for us as humans, especially as Americans, because the more that we want, the more that we fear. The more that we want, the more that we fear. The more intensely that we desire, that we seek fulfillment in this life, that we expect something around us, something we can see or experience to fill us, the more painful disappointment feels. The greener that we think some grass is going to be, the more that we fear in comparison just how brown some other grass might be. But Psalm 23 says, I shall not be in want. First John chapter 2, uh, starting with verse 15, says it like this. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, this comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Some of y'all might be confused. It says, do not love the world. It's like, wait, but doesn't John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world? This, this word love means to be contented with. He's saying, don't be fulfilled here. Don't be content with the state of this earth. Don't look to the things around you, but live to do the will of God. Desires pass away. And so where is fear of disappointment if I know that nothing in the world will satisfy me? Where is fear of death if I know that the man who does the will of God lives forever? This truth saved my life as a high school student when I was super depressed, super cynical, and I just was really from this place of seeing how empty and purposeless the world was to the point where I was entertaining thoughts of suicide, then God helped me to see that my discouragement wasn't actually because of how empty the world was. My discouragement was because I wanted more from the world. I, I thought the world would have something to offer me, and I was continually let down. This missed expectation, this loss compared to what I was hoping for, led to a super low state. And breakthrough came not when my worldly circumstances got better, but when my expectations of the world got lower. I stopped going into days hoping for things, wanting things, expecting good things to happen. I just oriented my focus around let me live to do the will of God and then let life comes come as it may and through God, maybe I can experience some joy in this life. But I'm not going to look to life to give me joy. I'm going to look to God to give me joy. And suddenly, 
I went from utterly depressed to maybe the most joyful person I knew. And it's because God set me free from my want. We guarantee fear and anxiety if we're looking towards whatever the world has to offer us. Because one, we can't control whether we get to experience those things. And two, we won't find any satisfaction even if we do experience those things. So let's not be in want, but let's live to do the will of God. I love verse 2. It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Somebody say, he makes me. Now somebody say, he leads me. Thanks. If y'all want a picture of servant leadership, Mitchell Dalton Welch. <laughs> Lying down in green pastures beside quiet waters, this, it's like a picture of rest. Even when I might want to go do X, Y, or Z, or I have work to do, or I have a relationship to invest in, or an experience I want to have, an ambition, he makes me. Even when I feel like there's a battle on every side. <laughs> he leads me. To a place of tranquility. Last year, January 2021, I had a goal. I'm not a big New Year's resolutions guy, but this year I said, you know, I'm going to go down from starting at 23%. I'm going to hit 9.9% body fat by the end of this year. And, you know, I, I set that out as my goal in 2021. I was making pretty good progress. Around summertime, early June, I was at 18.5%. So, okay, I'm 4.5% down. And then Hudson's born. And that probably influenced my stalling a little bit, but for a a little bit, I'm like, you know, I'm kind of stuck at 18.5, which means I am behind schedule. And so I take it up a notch. I say, we're going strict keto. We're exercising more intensely than I was before. going to do some more weights, a little bit less cardio. And I'm going to limit my caloric intake to at least a 500-calorie deficit, if not a 1,000-calorie deficit per day. Two months of that, and I was making some moves, guys. There were some abdomens under this stomach, okay? Seriously, I was going to need to buy some new pants because everything was loose. I was like, this is the me that I've never known. I was making great progress until one day I passed out. And despite having to call the EMS... Despite struggling with faint symptoms over the next several months following that incident, guys, I stand before you today with a testimony. I know a God who makes me lie down. <laughs> Literally. Unfortunately, I was by the toilet. It's not quite a green pasture, but hey, quiet water, maybe. I share this story lightheartedly, but on a brief, serious note, please do not talk to my wife, Megan, about this story. She knows I'm sharing it this morning. She's actually home with the kids because Beckham's not feeling too great. But I actually am going to ask you all not to bring it up to her 
because it was pretty traumatic at the time, and it's still a little bit traumatic. We're not really trying to relive me lying down by the quiet water of the toilet, passed out, because I'm working out so much and eating so little that my body's literally shutting down. I've made a commitment to her to try to not do that again, okay? So, so far, so good. But if you could not talk to her about how funny that must have been, she would really appreciate that. Why would I share a story that requires such an awkward disclaimer in the first place? Because by me reaching that physical limitation, over the next several months, it forced me to reprioritize. Like, it caused me to talk to God more and encouraged me to be content with who he is and not just what I can do. And don't mishear me. I wasn't, like, doing things trying to earn something from God. I was doing things that I wanted to do. It, like, this was my goal that I set, and I was having a lot of fun chasing after this goal. But we serve a God that leads us. And so I began acknowledging that even my own ambitions, even my own going, is not necessarily authoritative in my life. And this also, like, it started to expose in me a really significant issue of anxiety that was at work in me that I was not aware of before. And if it weren't for that pass out moment and the several months of struggling to make sure I don't pass out, I might still not know, and it would be much worse for me if I hadn't met the God that makes me lie down. Whether we like it or not, God does want to lead all of us, hopefully not needing to physically knock you out, but he wants to lead us to a place of rest, to a place of slowing down, being still, being quiet, and contemplating more about him and less about your difficulties. And could it be that if we knew this place of peace, of rest, of tranquility, of being before green pastures and quiet waters with the Lord, could it be that if we knew this place, we would miss out on our fear of missing out? Could it be that if we had constant access to this place in every season for the rest of our life, that our fear of change would change? And could it be that in this place, he restores my soul? It's true that in the face of fear, in the face of wounds, in the face of lies, we serve a God who restores our souls. 1 Peter 6 reiterates this promise, even in the context of fear and difficulty. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Man, this passage is like a picture of our whole sermon series. To him be the power. He keeps you strong. Stand firm against the enemy. We have a spirit of power. Be alert and of sober mind. We have a sound mind. 
and cast your anxiety on him. When you have fear, when you have anxiety, give it to him. Why? Because he cares for you. We have a spirit of love because we serve a God who loves. And this last promise that he will himself restore you. I can't tell you how many times that I have lost things or broken things that God has restored. There are many times emotionally or, or financially or relationally or childhood wounds or my own sin or things that I should be in the negative in this area, but God has restored me. There's no such thing as permanent damage. We serve a God who restores. So how much would I fear embarrassment or rejection if I know that he restores? How much would I fear pain or loss if I know that he restores? So the point is, let's know the God that restores. And this last phrase I think is so significant for us to know our shepherd in this way, that he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Like I shared earlier with the Beckham analogy, it is so important for a sense of peace and rest and comfort for understanding of God's character that we live in alignment with his ways. Righteousness is just one of those ways, but I think it's a way that can feel intimidating for us. It can feel impossible, but it is so important and consequential to our experience of God that we allow him to guide us in paths of righteousness. 1 John 3 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, in righteousness. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Regardless of how we feel, even if we feel attacked or condemned, we can rest in his presence when we love in action. He says it similarly a couple verses earlier. He says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. So if we continue in him, we can be confident and unashamed. And this continuing him by doing what is right, you'll notice John doesn't communicate that with such a like heavy laden, like, No one will be able to do it, but guys, just do what's right, and it's the worst thing God ever told us, but we have to do it, and so now let's just try for the rest of our life. It's, man, do what's right. How great is the love of God that we can even be called children, like that we can even contemplate doing what's right. That is a gift from God. That is not how we all started, and we can remain in his love as obedient children, and as a result have confidence at his return and rest in his presence. Why fear the unknown if I know God is guiding me? Why fear success if I know it's all for God's glory? And why fear intimacy 
if I know the very key to being free from fear is love. Truly, if I were to summarize all of verses 1 through 3, it is love. I know a God who shepherds me because he loves me. I'm no longer in want because I'm satisfied in his love. I can lie down in peace regardless of my surrounding circumstances because he loves me. By his love, he restores my soul. With great love, he guides me in righteousness. And if we can know this God of love that David depicts in verses 1 through 3, I believe we will see the evidence of verses 4 through 6, which I'll read for us again. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Does that sound good to anyone this morning? Awesome. I'm going to read one last scripture for us as we close, as the band comes on up. And I think it makes this point so clear for us. In 1 John 4, starting in verse 15 through 19. It says, If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Let me read that last part one more time. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And then it says, The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. In other words, our fear problem is actually not a fear problem. Our fear problem is a love problem. When we're made perfect in love, fear has to leave. How are we made perfect in love? Well, we love because he first loved us. So to the extent that we receive his love for us, that's the extent that we love. It's a matter of knowing his love for us, being compelled and moved by his love for us, that moves us to a place of love, and it's love that casts out fear. Love drives out fear. Fear has no place in love. We could play clips from a million ridiculous, like, rom-com movies of people that did ridiculous things from love. People don't do ridiculous things for a paycheck. Not to the same level of fearlessness. Not to the same level of recklessness but it's love that drives out fear. So as we close and respond with the time of worship, I just want to ask us, invite us to really just seek 
this God. Ask God to show you his love. As we sing, invite God to be your good shepherd. And trust that he will lead you in love that drives out fear. And even on this point of righteousness, if you feel like that is such an impossible thing for me, read the verse again. He guides into passive righteousness. It's a dependence on him. It's not you figure it out. And so we're going to worship God together, and we're going to invite him to just reveal himself to us and believe that to the extent that we know his love, that we can walk free from fear. So God, would you do it? Would you show us your love? Help us to know you like David knew you. We thank you, God, that we do not have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind.